Hey there. Welcome to the Thinking Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I am your host, Dane Kramer. And this is the Thinking Christian Podcast. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That will take you to my website. You can download resources there. You can listen to all previously released podcasts right from the website. You can find information about me, information about this podcast. You can find some videos that I've shot on previous occasions, uh, outdoor videos unrelated to the Thinking Christian podcast. And you can also subscribe right from my website. You can go to the website, type in your name, type in your email address, hit the subscribe button. And when a new podcast or a new update to the website is made, you will get a notification right in your email box. And you can listen to this that way. Or go to Apple iTunes, to Stitcher, to Google Play, to Android, and uh, or download any kind of podcasting app. And you should be able to subscribe to, that, to this podcast right from that app. I would encourage you to do that. And as always, feel free to leave comments. If you like something, say it. If you dislike something, don't hesitate to say it. I'm interested in opinions and thoughts, especially those that are well thought out. Not not the emotional ones that often happen with topics like this, but well thought out responses. Those are the ones that I am um, most seeking after, and those are the ones that interest me the most. Okay, well, let's get into today's topic. Let me first say that I'll rate this um, uh, this podcast PG, Parental Guidance Suggested. Not that I'm going to say anything crude or coarse, uh, but I know that it's of a more sensitive topic, it's a more sensitive matter today. And therefore, if you have small children listening while you're doing this, you might want to get them busy elsewhere. Uh, you decide. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to say just yet because this is unscripted, as all my podcasts are. I'm just kind of talking as we go here. But I want to start off by saying that this is a, of sensitive nature. So uh, with that being said, let's get into it. I want to talk about homosexual, homosexuality and the church. This I, uh, idea, or this topic idea was submitted to me by Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, I think, Insta messaged me on Facebook or Facebook Messenger. And ask if I'd address this topic. Uh, now, Mark, I know, is involved in the United Methodist Church. And I also know that the United Methodist Church currently is engaged in a um, pretty significant dilemma. I don't know how to put it over this whole matter. Uh, there are many within the United Methodist Church who believe that it is heading for a, a big split, that it's going to tear down the middle. And the reason why is there are uh, those on one side of the camp, uh, one side of the Methodist Church, saying that the church should embrace and recognize uh, homosexual unions as marriages. And not only that, but those people in those homosexual marriages should be recognized, if possible, as uh, church leaders, that they can be uh, pastors, they can be elders, they can be bishops, uh, and that the church should uh, recognize that. And then there are those on the other side of the camp who uh, believe that those unions should not be recognized as marriage, and that those leaders, if they're living in active homosexual lifestyles, should not be involved in leadership. That sort of basically, I think, would capture uh, both sides' stance a little bit. Now, this is an emotionally charged topic, and I, I know that going into it. Um, it is, uh, although I'm not particularly emotional about it. Uh, at least I don't feel that I am. Uh, I have my opinions, and I'll share those opinions with you as you, we go through here today. But um, 
as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm not looking to deny homosexual behavior or affirm it. Uh, I am looking to go get to the truth. That's all that I want. Um, my opinions don't matter as much as the truth does. Now, I'm not saying I have the truth, but I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm uh, hoping to get closer to it, and it has not been um, an easy struggle. It has been a study and reading and listening and and trying to uh, gauge what the church is, uh, what the Bible says, and you know what those in the church are saying. So it's uh, it can be kind of complicated, and um, because of that, I suppose. And because people are very invested in the answer to this question, it becomes emotionally charged. And I understand that. And I recognize it. Um, but that shouldn't stop us from moving forward. And I'm going to try to take uh, as intellectual uh, approach to this as I possibly can. And um, some of my answers, some of my responses may re- surprise both sides of this issue as we move forward here today. All right, well, I'm going to kind of jump to the New Testament um, because that seems to be, well, that's where my argument is going to come from. But let me say first something about uh, the New Testament. There are two passages of Scripture in particular that are typically used to uh, suggest that homosexual behavior, homosexual activity is not sanctioned by God, that is not appropriate. Those passages of Scripture are 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses eh, like 8, 9, and 10, or 9 and 10, 9, 10, and 11, something like that. Um, verse 9 says, know, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, the one word, nor effeminate, and that's the King James version that I just read, is sometimes translated homosexual. And uh, as a result, uh, many people believe, well, we couldn't be more clear, this is certainly talking about homosexuals. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that it's possible, and I don't know this for sure, but I've listened to the arguments against, and it is possible that that passage of Scripture may not be dealing directly with what we understand today as I'll call modern-day homosexuality, and that is in terms of um, two people feeling uh, oriented, two people of the same sex feeling oriented toward themselves, each other, I should say, and uh, trying to engage in a long-term committed relationship. There is some indication that this list here and that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 might have something to do with the day and age in which he's living in and in and especially in Corinth which was uh, a temple or a city filled with uh, pagan temples and all types of uh, what we might call perversion and and idolatry going on uh, sexual uh, sexual perversion was really a, a part of a lot of the pagan worship uh, the word in the King James translated effeminate might really um, refer to those who are temple prostitutes. And this may not just be homosexuality in general, but Paul may be referring to those involved in this kind of uh, pagan worship, whether those who uh, are the pagan prostitutes or whether they are um, those who had participated in it or do participate in it. 
Um, for example, those who might go to these pagan temples and, and have sex with the male prostitutes there. Um, for example, if you're a man, to go there and have sex with a, a male prostitute. And so Paul, the argument is that Paul might be referring to that and not just generally those who feel oriented, but those who are uh, participated in that type of practice. And I'll, I'll admit that even though I first didn't see it, I think there could be a decent case made that that could be what Paul was referring to, and it's possible. And I'm not saying it's it's I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's possible that this passage of scripture may not be something that we can call upon um, to talk to those who are uh, feeling oriented toward those of the same sex. Um, and maybe those who might want to engage in a, a long-term relationship with someone of the same sex, you know, to marry them, so to speak. Um, so that verse may not work. And the other passage, which is just as well known, is comes from Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27, which reads, For this reason God gave, the, gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now those two verses there are often um, called upon uh, to point out that God is condemning uh, what we would call homosexual behavior. Uh, people who are feel, or, feel oriented to their own sex and uh, are engaging in that type of lifestyle. And it might be, but I've listened to the arguments made um, by those, and when I say those, mostly it's the uh, homosexual community, those who call themselves Christian, and some of the, some of the um, uh, arguments that come out of that camp regarding these verses. And I've listened to their arguments, and some of it makes sense. That again, Paul could be referring here not to what you and I would call the modern-day person who feels oriented to his or her own sex and is, wishes to engage in a, um, a uh, committed relationship with that person, but this could be uh, both males and female of Paul's day who are engaged in uh, wild pagan worship. Uh, and that could be what Paul is referring to. Now, so I'm, I'm kind of conceding that these two most popular verses that we use often uh, may not be direct references uh, to modern-day homosexuality, may not be, and I'm not saying dogmatically, but may not be something that we would call upon to defend, let's say, a conventional marriage. Um, now, you might be thinking, well, Dane, this is not what I expected to hear from you. Um, you know, I know you. You seem very conservative and, and now sounds like you're taking a liberal stance. Well, I'm not. I'm just recognizing what I think could be a valid argument. And that's what I'm saying is these two passages that Paul was the author of both of them and these two passages which are often quoted. I mean, almost any time I hear a discussion of homosexuality, these two passages are called upon. And even though I do allow that it's possible that they, you know, that they're referring to that, I also recognize that there's a good argument which could be made to suggest that this is that Paul has something completely different in mind when he's talking about uh, something in those two passages. So where does that leave us? Well, 
Um, I, I think to understand my opinion, and that's all we're getting at the end of the day, uh, we would have to understand what, what marriage is because um, that, I think, is the most important aspect. Matter of fact, in a sense, I think my argument is rather simple. In Genesis chapter 20, or Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, um, after Adam is put to sleep and after a, uh, a rib is removed from uh, his body and that rib is made into a woman and she's presented to Adam, he responds in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she came out of man. And then the next verse, uh, evidently this is um, God's commentary on it. Uh, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This, I believe, is our definition of marriage. This is what um, the purpose, the natural use of the man and the natural use of the woman is, it, it, to be for one another in marriage. Now, Jesus uh, affirms this in, well, let me, before I get to Jesus, let me, let me, let me talk about something else too, because this could be an objection raised. Someone might say that, um, well, yeah, this is marriage, but didn't in the Old Testament times, weren't there some situations where a man had several wives? You know, uh, this seems to suggest a, a man and a woman are joined together in marriage, and yet we, we even have Abraham, the father of the Jewish uh, uh, people, who had, um, you know, well, he had Sarah, his wife, and then he took her concubine in, and a child was uh, raised up through through this woman. And there are many, many other cases of um, people we might describe as the uh, men of God. Uh, David, for example, Solomon had many, many wives. And so one would say, well, wait a second, if this is what God ordained, then why did uh, he allow other things to happen? Well, what we're talking about is um, polygamy. Not you know, uh, that is that's what I'm referring to, uh, where a person would have uh, at least uh, one wife, maybe two wives or more. Um, yeah, polygamy did happen in the Old Testament, and it happened many times. Um, it didn't happen without God's knowledge. He knew that it happened, and I suspect that the reason why it did happen is is rather simple, because uh, in many cases. When two countries went to war, and this is just one example, two countries went to war and the men from each country rose up to fight each other. Well, the losing, or even probably both sides actually, uh, when the war was over, they came back to their uh, hometown and many of the men were killed. They were gone. They were missing. Uh, they didn't return. And oftentimes things like war would just decimate the male population in any given area. Now, in, in these old times of the Old Testament, it was uh, very uncommon for a woman to be rich, to be able to take care of herself. And as a matter of fact, in a male-dominated society, a woman often had no choice but to marry a man. Well, what do you do when all the men are killed off and you, you don't have anyone to marry? And I think because of this, uh, God allowed, he permitted a man to take more than one wife. Why? So that she could live. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 4, uh, as Isaiah is prophesied, he says, In that day seven women will take hold of one man and say, Will we eat our own food and provide our own cl clothes? Let, uh, let, only let us be called by your name. Um, I, what Isaiah is referring to, I believe, is the fact that you know, decimation was coming. And uh, when this happens, seven women will be looking for one man to take, uh, to take as their husband, and they'd be willing. They'd even say, Hey, we'll, we'll make our own food and provide our own clothing. Just, just let us be called by your name because it was a disgrace for a woman to be unmarried. 
married and it was also extremely hard for a woman to be unmarried in those days as she was often uh, really could only become a beggar or a prostitute. Uh, So I believe that God did allow polygamy. Uh, It was not his perfect plan, but he permitted it so that people uh, could live. So, uh, but I believe God's perfect plan for marriage was um, that a man and a wife be joined. Uh, uh, the man is a male and the wife is a, is a female. Now, Jesus seems to affirm this in Matthew chapter 19. He's approached by some religious leaders in the early parts of that chapter. They're asking him about divorce. And before he answers uh, divorce, he actually recites the Genesis 2 chapter. And I, I believe he affirms that... Uh, this is what marriage is about. Uh, in verse 4 of chapter 19, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So he particularly points out the fact that there are males and that there are females. And then he says in verse 5, For this reason, in other words, therefore, uh, which is exactly what uh, Genesis says, Therefore, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So before he answers the question about divorce, he first addresses what marriage is. It is a man and a woman joining together. Now, Paul also affirms this in Ephesians chapter 5 as he's talking about marriage a little bit in that chapter. Uh, in verse 31, he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, he echoes this same thought, that a man is to be joined to his wife so that they, the two, can become one. I believe this gives us a something where we can go to answer this question. I believe that marriage is a man and a woman. Now, again, this is from Genesis, from Matthew and from Paul in Ephesians. It seems pretty clear that this uh, is what marriage was set up to be. And so, anything that occurs outside of marriage would be considered not part of God's perfect plan. Uh, For example, a man and a woman who are not married to each other, uh, if they're engaged in sexual relationships, this would be wrong uh, because this is outside of the uh, bounds of uh, matrimony, outside the bounds of marriage, or whether it be two men, or whether it be two women, uh, you know, any number of these combinations, whatever falls outside of marriage, it seems would be considered, uh, the word is called fornication. In the Greek, it's porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. And it's a sort of, sort of a general term uh, to indicate that this is a sexual immorality. So it would seem to me that whatever is inside of marriage would be uh, sanctioned by God, maybe with some exception. Uh, I don't don't think God would necessarily sanction, for example, a husband raping his wife uh, or um, one party being abusive to the other. But uh, those things that fall outside of that marriage would be unsanctioned. And homosexuality, because it's not part of the definition of marriage, would then be unsanctioned. It would not be part of God's perfect plan for his people. Now, someone might say, but wait a second. Now, aren't states recognizing gay marriages, uh, you know, same-sex marriages? Aren't many states now allowing this and permitting this and licensing this? Isn't this becoming more and more common? Well, the answer to those questions will be yes, the state is, and they are becoming more common. But I'm not talking about the state's definition of marriage, and this is very, very, very important um, 
consideration here. I'm not talking about what the state defines as marriage because the state, in my opinion, doesn't do a great job of understanding marriage. I'm concerned about what the church, or what God, I should say, what God has to say about marriage, not the state. And so though the state makes a decision, this is not necessarily God's decision. Uh, They may or they may not reflect what God's heart is. So I'm not talking about whether the state licenses marriage. I'm talking about whether God has ordained same-sex marriage, not the state. And as I've just pointed out, I believe that the definition of marriage is rather cut and dry. I don't see this as someone might describe as, well, God, the Bible just describes what's happened. It doesn't necessarily prescribe uh, marriage this way. Mm, I don't see it that way. I see uh, the word therefore, in other words, for this reason. Um, God created the male and, for, and female, and then for this reason, because they were made that way, they are to be joined together. So I find this a prescription for marriage, not just simply a description of the first marriage. And some would try to make that dis- distinction different, uh, obviously, than opening up the traditional understanding of marriage. Now, someone might say, but okay, that's entirely unfair, Dane. You know, you're saying that because you're heterosexual and because you don't struggle with it. Well, I said earlier, I have no dog in this race and I'm not looking to put any kind of emotional spin on this. I'm trying to decide what is true for myself based on what I can understand from the scriptures, based on what I, what I know to be true. And that's the conclusion that I've reached. Uh, this isn't hatred. This is just simply saying, I think this is what God's saying. And, you know, if someone were to say, well, this is the way I've always been. Um, I, I can't remember a time when I was different from this. I've always felt an attraction to my own sex and never felt an attraction to another sex. And what would you say about that, Dane? Well, um, first I would say, I get that. I mean, I, I do. Um, I, I totally get that. And my heart goes out to someone who would struggle with that uh, all of their lives. But I can't let that struggle sway my opinion on what is true. I can't let that struggle sway my opinion on what I believe to be is reality. I mean, in a sense, a lot of people struggle with, um, I mean, no, let's put it this way. All people struggle with sin. All people have all people have issues that uh, they they struggle with, and they might even say, "But this is natural to me." Um, you know, a person might have a you know uh, eating is natural, for example, and they may have a problem with gluttony. Well, we can't let them be gluttons because they have a tendency to eat, or because they feel like eating is good for them. Uh, I'm I'm a heterosexual. Uh, in other words, I'm not attracted to my attracted to my own sex, but the opposite sex. But that doesn't give me a license then to participate in as much heterosexual activity as I can possibly get. In other words, though when I step outside the bounds of this marriage that I'm in, I would be wrong, even if it would be heterosexual uh, activity. And so we can't let truth be decided by the way we feel. Now, again, someone might say, but that's not unfair. How could God create me to be like this and, and I can't, I can't live it out? I can't exercise it. Well, I really can't answer why. And I, you know, if a person feels this way uh, from the beginning, again, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I really and truly am sorry. I understand the, the struggle, uh, and it would be horrible. It would be horrible. And yet, we can't let that determine what is real for us. 
You know, I think the bottom line really is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Is Christianity just living out our own passions and desires and then having our ticket in hand to get to heaven? Or is it much more than that? In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, uh, we have uh, some interesting words from Jesus. Well, actually in 26, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are harsh words. They're hard words, I should say. Not harsh, but hard. They're hard words. But it also gives us a glimpse of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. I believe a follower of Jesus is a person who forsakes himself. He or she forsakes their own lusts and passions and submits them to God. That what becomes most important in our world is pleasing Him, not pleasing ourselves. I believe Jesus made it relatively clear that if we come to God and yet we don't prefer Him over even our family members, even our own life, we don't qualify to be His disciple. A follower of Jesus is someone who submits his or her own desires, passions, purposes to God. And we seek to please Him above all others. Well, with that, I'm going to close down this podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to the next time we meet on the Thinking Christian Podcast.